The Infertility Podcast is a place of inspiration for every season in life, a resource where listeners can be encouraged to push past obstacles and be motivated by individual stories. The premise of infertility is understanding the season you are in and realizing that there are strategies that can be implemented to enjoy a fertile season. Now on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Infertility Podcast. We are officially on episode 60 and have another special guest. Um, She is my mentor, sister friend, confidant, um, and her name is Nicole. So thank you so much, Nicole, for joining. Hi, Danielle. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So before we get started in the interview, Nicole, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, any personal professional highlights that you would like to share um, before we get into the questions? Okay, well, I am by profession a career educator. Um, And I've been in education for over 20 years now. And just recently, I began working on getting my license and completing my schooling to be a licensed esthetician. Because in my free time and in my pastime, I like to put on makeup and practice good skincare habits. And so I thought I'd be able to share that with other women. So now I'm soon to be a licensed esthetician. So that's what I've been spending all of my free time on lately. Yeah. Um, I'm also a very happy wife and an even happier mommy to my little one, Elijah, who keeps me very busy. Um, <laughs> and when I'm not spending time with my husband and Elijah, and when I'm not in school and when I'm not working, I do spend time with my sorority sisters as I'm a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And we spend time working throughout the community, um, assisting in various different activities that help families and help people um, during holidays and things like that. So that's that's pretty much about me. (laughs) I'm hearing Nicole talk about free time. And let me tell you, she doesn't have really free time (laughs) because she's very busy, but um, do appreciate you taking the time to be on this episode. And um, I've known Nicole for quite some time. I think we're over 10 plus years at this point. Um, And I thought it was really important to highlight her story um, because I know her story personally, and uh, I know a lot of people do not know her story, uh, but there's so many components within Nicole's story uh, that is so important um, for a woman that's going through infertility. And a lot of parts of your story, Nicole, we have not covered on this podcast, so I'm really excited to get into some okay. of these topics um, because we haven't covered them, and I'm on season three, and some of these topics we have not covered. So I'm <laughs> so excited to have you on here. Um, okay. So the first um, question that I have is, did you have a plan? And it's so funny to ask this question because I know every woman has a plan, but um, did mm-hmm. you have a plan of what you wanted to see fertility wise? Like, did you want to be married at 25, have children at 27 and that sort of thing? So if you can kind of speak to what your fertility plan, uh, your fertility life plan, what did that look like um, uh, for you? Well, I, I knew that I was going to have at least a boy and a girl, one boy, one girl, because my mom had a boy and a girl. Okay. So I wanted to have the exact same experience that my mother had. Um, and I figured that by 27, 28 years old, I'd be done having children. Yes. Because um, my mom was done at that age as well. You know, yes. I was just, my life was going to be just like my mom's. Um, and I also knew at an early age that I wanted to adopt. So I was going to have a minimum of two of my own, as well as one that I wanted to adopt. Now, when all of those were going to take place, it was supposed to be before I turned 30 years old. Yes. Um, <laughs> so my life plan quickly changed at 29 years old and some months when I knew that I was reaching that limit and I'm not in a position to, to have my own child. Um, 
And so I did look further into adoption, but I did have a life plan. Mm -hmm. I knew exactly what I wanted it to be. I knew how many children I wanted to have and what I wanted that experience to be like, um, as far as how close in age they were going to be. Because again, my brother and I are only 11 months and two weeks apart. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that my children had a similar experience growing up with a sibling. So yes, I definitely had a life plan. And I had that plan from a very young age. Yes. You and I I are alike in that sense. Um, You know, same amount of kids as your, you know, mother, the amount of years. Uh, For me, my mother married pretty late or what we would consider late. And she got married at Mm -hmm. 28. Um, I got married at 30. So I was like, oh, it's cool. like two years off not a problem <laughs> and here we are <laughs> so yes. tell me about or tell us about the devastating news you received in your 20s that really kind of shifted your life plan um and how did you cope or how are you even now how are you coping um with some of the things that happened early on that shifted the plan that you had you know outlined for your life well, um, it was it was a breathtaking shock mm-hmm. when I found out that I had to make a life altering decision before I was twenty five years old, um, and it was so much of a shock that it took me several years to have the surgery because I just did not understand what that really meant. So. I was married very young. Well, what most people can say they're young, but it was part of my plan yes. to graduate from college. <laughs> you know, graduate from college, get married, have children. That's that's what you're supposed to do. Mm. Um, and so in working that plan, of course, I did graduate from college in, in the late 90s. Shortly after that, I got married. And then shortly after that, you know, I was supposed to start my family. Um, but in starting that family, I wasn't successful, which took me to my um one of my first OBGYN appointments by myself as a mature adult without my mom, (laughs) because, you know, all those other years, you know, you had your parent support. So I'm going to this doctor and I remember, I specifically remember her being a female doctor and um, I was explaining to her, you know, my husband and I, we've been trying to have children without success. um, And I do have some abdominal pains, but I'm not quite sure, you know, what's going on because again I haven't been successful in having children and again for me this was what I would call to this day like a ghost period where I thought I was pregnant and my cycle was like you know from 13 years old until 23 like she's been coming every 28 days you know and now all of a sudden it'll be 35 days and 32 days and you know, there's that week where I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe I am, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. going to take a pregnancy test. And then I, it, it end with some abdominal pains and then my cycle would start. And then, you know, it'd be, it was a cycle, like an emotional cycle every single month. Mm-hmm. And that's what led me to go to the doctor because I was like, something's not right. So when I went and spoke to the doctor, she was just like, oh, you know, you're getting older. Um, women have, you know, go through things as their, their life gets older, your body changes. And so you're fine, you know, just here, maybe we can try some birth control. And I was just like, okay, well, I mean, (laughs) sure. You're a doctor, you know, you you know, she knows what she's supposed to be saying, but it kind of rubbed me the wrong way because she was just like, you know, just females, we have issues. You know, there was a lot of wee, wee, wee in that conversation. So from that moment on, I decided to have a male doctor. (laughs) because um in my mind I was being brushed off by the doctor like the pain I was having things that I was experiencing I was just being brushed off and I felt like if I go to a male doctor he doesn't know these female issues anatomy yes (laughs) yes he has studied it but he doesn't know how we feel. He doesn't know what we go through. So he's not going to brush off my emotions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's not going to brush off and say, I'm just emotional because I need to calm down. Your body's not working right because you know, your body knows what you're going to do. And most people get stressed out. And, and I didn't, that's what all the female doctor, that's what she told me. And I was just kind of like, you know, I have kind of lived with this body for like 24 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, I noticed things are just not, um, doing what they're supposed to be doing. 
So I did go to a new doctor. And when I went to that doctor, he immediately was like, oh, well, let's get some, let's get some tests. Let's get some exams. Started with a series of blood work. You know, again, I'm 24 at this time, almost 25 years old. So I'm thinking, okay, this is normal. Maybe, I don't know, like no one else, you know, I don't know anybody else who's experienced this before because all my friends have children. <laughs> you know, all my friends are doing X, Y, and Z and we're only 25. So, hey, maybe, you know, this is normal. So I, I would sit in appointments by myself. You know, I'm doing all this stuff by myself because it's just normal at this point that I should go through this because I don't know, this is what you do, you know, when you go to the doctor and you have issues. And eventually the doctor came back and he said, you know, I really don't know what's going on because your, your blood levels are normal. Everything is you know, where it's supposed to be. So I want, I would like to do some internal exam. And um, he said, we're, the first one we're going to do is a dye to see if your fallopian tubes, if they're open and if, you know, everything is flowing in there. And then he explained a several series of other tests that I would need to have done. So I said, okay, this is fine. You know, I'll go, you know, have this procedure done. And I can remember being in the procedure room and um i had a sister friend with me and it's like everybody got quiet all of a sudden and you know i don't i'm the position i'm in is not one that lends itself to just regular conversation Talk, right all right <laughs> <laughs> so i really wasn't saying anything but you know how usually there's nurse and doctor chatter and yeah you know, it's like little, small little talk little the weather yeah. Blah, blah, blah. yes yeah. And it was just kind of like all of a sudden, like, it's like all the conversation just changed. And there was a, you know, a change in his movements and everybody got a little bit more like, at, you know, like, okay, well, let's try this and, you know, other stuff like that. And Nicole coughed for me, <laughs> you know, move around, tilt your pelvis, you know, I was getting all those things. And so, um, the exam was over and typically after all the other things that I had done, this doctor would tell me like, Oh, here's what I saw. Here's what he said, you know, I'm going to wait for me to get the, I'm going to wait to get the report back and I'll let you know. Um, I'll probably call you in my office in a week or two and we can go over the results. So I, same day I'm on my way home and the person who came with me, we were riding in the car together and she just said, Nick, I'm just going to tell you there was no fluid that went through your fallopian tubes. Wow. And she said, I could see it in the screen. Like I saw like your whole uterus filled up and one of your fallopian tubes, you could see it go to the right. And the other one, um, it just kind of moved, but it didn't really go all the mm -hmm. way through the fallopian tube. It didn't come out. And I was just like, so what does that mean? You know, again. Yeah, because you you're know. young. Yes, these conversations are <laughs> not being had. Let's be for real. Yeah. <laughs> these are conversations that are not being had. So yeah. I'm 25, um, and I'm just like, you know, what? <laughs> you know, what, what, what does this mean? And she, was, and she was like, well, you know, and this was before the internet age. Like, this was, this was right when internet was just, like, starting you to be available to to, yeah, it was just starting to be available to common folk. Like, you know, we could, you know, so um, even though there was the internet, it's just not something that people went to for resources because we were just so used to going to the doctor. So I went home, I did look it up. I did Google, you know, what this meant. And I started to read and it was just like, oh, mm -hmm. oh. and my, I started having anxiety and I'm just like, who, like, you know, this is, this is serious. Like, you know, this wasn't supposed to happen. So the next day I immediately called the doctor back and I was like, I can't wait like a week. I have to get back in there as soon as possible. So I think I went in like in a couple of days or whatever. And, um, yeah, that was the conversation the doctor had. The dye didn't go through your fallopian tubes. Um, the next thing is for me to do an exploratory surgery to see why. And that started what has now been like an unending amount <laughs> of surgeries. Um, to my lower abdominal area for all kinds of reasons. I ended up having almost um, three exploratory surgeries where this is concerned, where the third surgery is where they actually, um, I don't know how to say it, but um, that's the surgery where he actually took out my fallopian tubes. Wow. And before that, the first surgery, it was more like a, 
he said, you know, if I see anything, do you want me to fix it? Do you want me to, you know, whatever, whatever. But I really wasn't ready for that. Um, so he, he just went in when he, when he, <laughs> after the surgery, um, it was uh, outpatient surgery. So I was awake, you know, a couple of hours after. And he briefly just said, you know, I think I found out what the problem was. Um, this is what I like to try. And so my second surgery was him trying to um, release, I guess, the, the fallopian tube to allow it to flow as normal. And then my third surgery was the follow-up to that because um, two or three months after the surgery, nothing, the tube still remained blocked. So my third surgery was when they actually removed the fallopian tubes. And I can remember how emotional it was for me because I was numb. Like I was like, I don't, I don't really understand, but the doctor is telling me that, you know, I have, um, I have to, this is going to cause me a lot more abdominal pains because there's some infection or there's some webbing and like all kinds of other stuff. And by this time I had called my mother to, <laughs> to come because, you know, she's, um, she's a doctor of public health. So she understands health and, and, being a nurse for several years. Well, all my life, she's been a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you know, I, 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 at this point I felt like, you know, and I told, I called her actually after the initial surgery, after he went in and told her what I was experiencing, but she came after for the third surgery, um, when they actually did remove my fallopian tube. And I can remember just feeling like, I don't, I, I guess, you know, I'm 25 at the point at this 26 at this moment. And, um, if, if this is going to increase my health and, you know, the doctor of course is explaining other birthing options. He talks about in vitro, he talks about surrogacy. He talked about, um, you know, freezing my eggs and, and all of that. But at the time that was, I, that was way over my head. At that time, I was more concerned about my health because I was having some severe abdominal pains cyclically, you know, as I was getting my cycle. So um, coming off of that, after that surgery, that's when I, my life, I guess, took a different emotional turn. Mm -hmm. Um, And I began to internalize a lot more about what I was feeling and how I was feeling until the, it wasn't very many people who knew about it, but even to the point where I stopped talking about my, my situation or my health, I stopped researching. I I originally went to a therapist and, um, tried to, um, and I guess the therapist at the time told me it's a form of grief counseling that we were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after those sessions ended, I just, that was it. I didn't talk about it anymore. It just became, just something that a handful of people knew about. And then I just went on with life. Mm-hmm. And so that that is still something, you know, till this day, I think, um, you know, grief is a funny thing. Uh, you, to me, you know, people are like, oh, you know, time heals all wounds. Um, and I, I think well, the debate time, is, the debate is out on that. Yes. <laughs> Through time, no. you learn how to cope, you know? You I don't, yeah, time yeah. helps you cope. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, because there's things that, you know, we still deal with, you know, trauma from adolescent years to, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, your mid-20s receiving this type of news. Um mm-hmm. And now you've gone on with your life and you, it, it affects, you know, dating, you know, mm-hmm. you, you talk to someone and you're, you know, dating and you're saying, okay, this relationship has ended. I'm on the dating scene. And this is something that you kind of, if you are going to pursue a relationship, it's a topic that comes up. Do you want kids? It, Do you yeah. Want kids? It comes up. This is, mm-hmm. you know, this is what's going on with me. And so, um, it's it's something that impacts many areas of your life, and like you said, you really didn't tell a lot of people. Um, I think no. even to this day, uh, this podcast is probably going to be the one that broadcasts everything for you, <laughs> <laughs> because like you said, only a handful of people, um, you know, knew what was going on, or even to this point, yes. know you know that part of your story. And for a very long time, Danielle, I had a lot of people um, say some crazy, like, um, 
I've heard things from people like, why don't you have your own kids? Um, why don't you? And that's coming from people not necessarily be nice or inquiring. You know, they, they would ask, you know, those kind of questions. I would often get, um, because one thing that I did develop later in, in my 30s, late 20s, early 30s, I started to get fibroids. And I had a lot of people ask if I was pregnant or, you know, those type of things. Um, it, you know, it, it was, it was a very, I would say from 26 to about 35, those nine to 10 years almost were very full. They were, they were packed full of emotional roller coasters. Mm -hmm. Um, because again, it's just very much a place of private grief that nobody like, you know, and during that time, shortly after I moved to Florida. So nobody in right. Florida knew of my circumstances. So here we go again with the, Oh, you know, why are you, you're not married. You don't have kids. You And one thing that kept me single after my first marriage did end was this bit of information. It kept me single because, um, you know, what young man am I going to meet that at 30 years old who doesn't want to have kids? And I right. don't want to get into this emotional tug of, you know, I get into a relationship when I, when I become comfortable, then I, I break this news and then they're like, well, I didn't sign up for this. Like, this mm -hmm. is not what I, I want. I don't see this happening. So I spent a lot of time by myself, um, after my first marriage ended because, it was just one of those things that I felt like I didn't want to take away from somebody else. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I praise God for my now husband mm -hmm. who, um, when I met him and when I shared this information with him, I mean, he was more than happy and, and loving and um, caring about me prior to, too but it felt like once he knew of this information and he said in his mind that if that's who you are I want to get to know the whole you and it's not about anything else in the future it's about our present and I was just kind of like okay this is this is this is gonna be okay yeah. <laughs> you can tell when he came into the scene things were definitely different <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay well you know <laughs> Definitely different. Uh, you yeah. you hinted towards um, fibroids, and we've talked about this a little bit um, on this podcast. Um, and we see that African American women suffer with it more than any other nationality. Um, so, what mm -hmm. was your experience, and kind of what steps did you take to deal with the fibroids? I didn't start to develop um, a knowledge of fibroids or any of that until after my surgery when I started to study more of what was happening with me and then it kind of went away like I didn't figure I didn't have fibroids because the doctor didn't say I have fibroids he just said I had something on my tubes and then kept it moving you know what I mean mm -hmm. it was just not an issue of fibroids so um let's fast forward to now I'm in my mid-30s it's almost 10 years later to the day and, um, you know, what used to be a uh, nice toned, <laughs> I was not like super, you know, weightlifting model body type, but I was never, I never had like a huge stomach. And then all of a sudden my stomach started, starts to look large, you know, month after month. And then I go to a doctor um, and he tells me that I have fibroids and I was just kind of like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> here we go again with some more information. Yeah, I've already dealt with the previous information. I've had surgeries, follow-up surgeries, surgery after surgery to get my uterus back into some kind of shape that maybe one day it could be used for, you know, something other <laughs> than that monthly friend. Um, but he tells me, I have fibroids, but it's not just your average, like you have fibroids. I have like a massive fibroid. Mm -hmm. And he, and then he says, and um, I want to make sure. And of course, now I'm in my 
mid-30s and you say things like cancer you say things like yeah. you know we're going to get a biopsy you know it sounds different yes. <laughs> it feels different um so you know again I don't I'm not a health professional so I'm trusting the health professional to to tell me here's what I'm experiencing and I went and sure enough from the exam I now have fibroids um and I did have um a pap smear that came back um, with precancerous cells. Mm -hmm. And so that, that on top of the <laughs> fibroids, it was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. I remember when so you called lot. and said the precancerous cells piece and I was just like, Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was a lot. It was a lot. And so I was just like, okay, let's deal with the precancer cells. Let's do all of that. Let's get those biopsied and yada, yada, yada. So once they came back and said, okay, we're fine there. You're okay. And I'm just like, whew. Yeah. You know, that was like a weight off of my shoulders. Um, because I, I, you know, I've heard, seen, and experienced friends and family members who have gone through those yeah. experiences. And I was just trying to get past that moment and so now we're just dealing with our fibroids <laughs> and you know the doctor says let's have surgery let's see what we have going on whatever is in there I'll take out um, but I do know that there is one rather large fibroid the size of about a grapefruit or whatever that I do want to remove um, because right now all your fibroids are presenting like a five-month pregnancy and I was just like okay well Go ahead and do what you have to do. Right. <laughs> After that surgery, the doctor, you know, in my post-op was explaining that he removed 22 fibroids, mm -hmm. ranging in sizes from a piece size all the way up to the size of, um, like, um, I don't know how to describe. It's a, it's a little larger than a grapefruit is what I would say. Um, and it was, it was. I guess now a climactic moment for me because mm -hmm. I'm hearing him say, you know, there were so many fibroids that your uterus, there's no other way for me to explain it. It looks like Frankenstein because yeah. we had to cut here, cut there. Um, some were on the inside, some were on the outside, some were um, within the you know body of your uterine wall. So I tried to get out as many as I could. Um, and I think I was successful or so, you know, I thought he was successful. It sounded good. Mm -hmm. um, but then we fast forward two years later and the fibroids are back yeah. <laughs> with full force. And um, they're not sure why they have grown or why they grow so fast within me, but they do, which now has, um, has me at the end of my family planning journey <laughs> mm -hmm. because my age coupled with all my surgeries, my uterus would not be able to um, necessarily hold a fetus full term. Should we have another surgery and then try, you know, to have in vitro after that. Mm -hmm. So it, it's been a difficult road to get to. It's a very emotional I guess moment for me, because when I think about my family plan, even mm -hmm. though, you know, even though this, this issue that I've dealt with has been with me all my adult life. So has my hopes and dreams to have, you know, that nucleus family that you dream of. Yes. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm now at the end of that journey. My husband and I have decided that we are not going to pursue in vitro um, because we have to think about our, our health, our physical health, um, and being able to see, you know, the, the baby being carried full term mm -hmm. and those chances are very low. And so, um, we're going to trust God if he wants us to move forward and have the opportunity to adopt again. Um, or, you know, if this is our family as it is, it's our family as it is. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and, you know, it's just been amazing to watch, the progression of your story and your strength through it all. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people, again, they do not know um, your story and what you've gone through. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something that you readily kind of share. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so it's just been amazing to watch your strength, even in, you know, really difficult moments. And one thing about Nicole that needs to be said is that um, she is one that supports people. Um, and, you know, supports people in, a, in an area that's really difficult. So I would say Nicole is like a pseudo doula um, <laughs> and really helps women um, as they're transitioning um, into motherhood and is there, you know, in the hospital, um, waiting yeah. hand and foot. And not only in that area, you've definitely helped um you know, I know you were there with my sister. When my sister got married, you stood in the gap for us. And so um, she is definitely a person that has a heart for people. And this lends itself to this next question about, you know, adoption. And, you know, adoption holds a special place in my heart. And I know it does for Nicole. Um, and I've spoken about this in the podcast that my father is adopted. And it is something that um, in the future, hopefully in the near future, that uh, Woody and I would consider. So mm -hmm. can you tell us your experience first? Because you did have a child through the foster care system before you had Elijah. So mm -hmm. if you can talk about that and then transitioning to, you know, getting Elijah. What? <laughs> this is, this is probably a very exciting story. Um, and it has a lot of bends and, yes. and <laughs> it has a lot of mountains and a lot of shallow points. And it, it's um, at the age of 35, when I was not in a position to even consider um, a family plan, because again, you know, I'm a, you know, I need to have a husband and we're going to do this thing together. I said, I was going to, if I don't have a child by 35, that I was going to adopt. And that's the decision that I made when the doctor performed the surgery, you know, almost 10 years prior that I said, if I don't have children by the time I'm 35, I'm going to adopt. So at 35, I was single here in Florida. Um, no children. So, it, you know, I'm a planner. I like to stick to the plan. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so at 35, I took what's called pride classes, which is one of the first steps to an, an adoption so that you can go through that process of learning about what it is to be an adoptive parent, what it means for children who have been adopted, takes you through a few different scenarios, looks at it through different lenses. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, at the end, you do your home study and now you're ready to adopt. Mm -hmm. And so that was how it was explained to me. Um, but even at 35, even though I said if I didn't have children at 35 that I wanted to adopt, I kind of, you know, felt like I'm not going to rush. I'm not, you know, if God has a child out there for me, he wants, you know, he'll send that child to me because I work in education. I see children all day long. So yes, it was not that I don't get my feel of watching um, a young mind be molded and a, mm -hmm. a body grow in shape because we get that in the field of education. I, I worked in an elementary school. And so it wasn't that piece that I was missing. It was, um, the whole idea that there was going to be someone that called me mom and mm -hmm. that looked up to me for um, help and guidance and to, to grow and nurture that mind and help shape the next generation. Like that was my desire as to why I want to adopt. And I did decide that I wanted to do a, a state adoption, a local adoption and go through the local adoption agency. I didn't want to do a private adoption where you go out of the country or, you know, put my name in a hat and hope somebody picks it. I really know that there are children from me being in education. I know that there are children in the foster care system, the state foster care system that need homes. Mm -hmm. So I was open to that. Um, but I wasn't rushing. Um, and I can remember when I was first given an opportunity, it was for two brothers. Um, and because it took me a long time to decide what I wanted to do, the brothers were, I think, four and five, or either three and a half and five. Um, another family, they moved on and, and selected another family. And so I was like, okay, what God has for me, God has for, for me. You. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going, I'm not mad. It's, you know, life goes on. But what I realized in that experience was here's a whole nother level of anxiety, a whole nother level of grief. nervousness and a whole nother level of grief. And when I say grief, um, and this is, this is how funny God is right. Um, before I did get Elijah, I had a little girl, um, 
and her name was Abigail. Well, I called her Abigail. Um, and I'll just keep it at Abigail for the sake of that's not her real name, or you know, her given name. So mm-hmm. we'll just call her Abigail. Well, I called her Abigail. <laughs> um, and she, I was able to bring her into my home. And the idea was that I was going to adopt her and I, I was going to have this as my first, have her as my first child. Um, unfortunately, because of how the, our legal system works, um, things did not go as planned. And it was a teen mom who's, because of her age, her mother had to sign off on her giving her child up for adoption. Mm -hmm. And after I had Abigail in my home for a little over three months, um, the mother said no, that she did not want to, to allow her daughter to give her grandchild up for adoption. And so I can remember them coming to the house to pick up Abigail and I just sat in my living room like the, and as the day went on and got darker, I just remember sitting on the couch and just saying like, wow, <laughs> that's how it happens. And they told us this in our pride classes. Like, you know, my mind immediately went back into like a, a gear of, they told you this, get yourself together, pull, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and let's keep going. Um, but, you know, it still tugs because I just knew that this was a done deal. Like, you know, I, I had her for three months. You know, I did everything I was supposed to do. She was, when I did get her, she was only three months herself. <laughs> you right. know, she was a, a little tiny baby. Um, and this was, this was great. This was everything that I thought I would be able to experience outside of, you know, I, I was single at the time, so I didn't have a husband. But it was everything that I thought it would be. But I do remember as it got dark in my house and I no longer heard the coos of the baby. I no longer, you know, had that routine that I had developed. I just started crying Mm -hmm. because I couldn't imagine this feeling that I would feel because I thought it would be like, you knew this was going to happen. You know, you knew that this, if you get an infant, this is what happens with infants. You know, you study, they told you this, you prepped for this. So what's this emotion for? But it was, um, it was another moment of grief. It was another moment of what? <laughs> like, why me? Why, why, what, did, why is, why is this my crucible? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, why am I walking this journey? Um, and then I just went back to work and it was business as usual for a few months. And then um, that happened in October, I would say. And about six months later, um, one of my sorority sisters came to me and she mentioned that, you know, she heard that I wanted to adopt. And, you know, I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, she knew that I had wanted to adopt and she knew about what had happened before. And she was like, "Um, I'm not sure if you're willing to do this, but my family could use your help. And the, at then time, um, Elijah had been placed in foster care and she said, you know, he's only seven months at the time. He's six or seven months. Um, and our goal is to get him back. We just don't want him to get lost in the foster system. Well, everybody knew fostering a child was not my thing. Right. After my situation with Abigail, I said, I'm not, I can't be a foster parent. I cannot be a foster parent. Like that's too, that's an emotional journey. I don't want to be on. Um, and so I explained to her, like, I, I, I really didn't want to foster. I, I don't want to foster. I, I can't. And a six month old at that. Yeah. On now. <laughs> um, and so when I spoke to her, it was just something that, changed in my mind um when she when I when she and I spoke about um what what had happened and I said you know if if I can be of service I will and um she was like well I don't know but he has a court date coming up so we're gonna go to court and we're gonna see what happens D 
let me tell you <laughs> that day I, as clear as day on may the 17th <laughs> of 2015 we drive to miami and we're in the courtroom and um i can't remember she was it, it's everything so vivid she was yes. sitting to my right I, and you know we're waiting for the docket to come up. It's like something you see on TV when people are sitting in the courtroom here. Yes. Um, I always wonder, like, what are all the people doing there? They all got to do the same case, but no. <laughs> they have a separate um, case and they're waiting. <laughs> they're waiting. So, you know, this case comes up um, and the judge just starts answer, asking all these questions. And then she just asked us, she says, like, I don't, I don't know. It's all like, everything's precise. But then all of a sudden I hear, do you guys have a car seat? And I'll, and we were just like, don't say no, say yes. Like, you know, right, like, right. Yes, yes, we have a car seat. Yes. yes. Run your target and get one. <laughs> yes, we have a car seat. She said, you know, call, call the foster mom, let her know, or call the daycare or call whoever, tell them they're going to take the baby with them today. And we just, we, I was, I wasn't ready. Yes. That's divine. That's divine appointment. Literally, literally divine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I wasn't expecting it. I was just sitting there like, huh? Like right now? Like I don't have, I ain't got no pampers. No, like, <laughs> you no, know, I mean, I still had all the furniture and things left over from Abigail, but I had given away, you know, the clothes and diapers and all that stuff over the last six months. So I had nothing. I did have somewhere for him to lay his head. So that's the way I was thinking about it. I have somewhere for him to lay his head. So now we, we're waiting for Elijah. The anticipation is there. And then here comes the social worker with this cute little bundle of joy. Mm -hmm. And um, looks like your twin. <laughs> and I can just remember driving back to Orlando with this, package this so fragile care package where you know on my way to miami i might have been zooming through you know like yes now it's like a three-hour trip probably took us four and a half hours because we had this precious cargo and mm -hmm. you know it it was just it was like wow we we went to just listen to the case and see what was going to happen and we came back you know with elijah and he's mm -hmm. been in this house and he's been here ever since mm -hmm. um, um, but that's not where the Elijah story ends. And I can't talk about Elijah without talking about his other siblings mm -hmm. because um, Elijah had an older sister who, get this, whose name actually is Abigail. Abigail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I, um, I'm going to fast forward to when I first met Abigail. And I know these dates particularly because they all are significant. Um, I had heard that Elijah had a sister and, you know, and uh, it, I never paid attention to the small details. He right. does have a sister. Like, you know, it's just one of those things. So we go to, we're, we're going to Miami. It's June 1st. We're going to Miami because today is our adoption day. Mm -hmm. You know, a year and some change had passed. And at this point now, the judge has granted an adoption for me to have Elijah. Of course, there are a lot of little things in between the last year that got us to this point. Yeah. But now we're going to adopt Elijah. And, you know, we all get dressed up and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going down with my sister Tam and my sister Betty, who um, that is our divine intervention, yeah. literally, <laughs> that brought Elijah to me. Yeah. She, um is his actual blood relative cousin who did ask for my support in the situation. And all three of us, four of us, cause it's Tam, myself and Betty, we're driving for this adoption mm -hmm. of Elijah. Like this is what God has for me. This is the plan that God has for me. And, you know, we come around, you know, we're in the courthouse, we come around the room bin and we're walking to where the courtroom was because, you know, Betty and I have been to this judge's courtroom several times in the last right. few <laughs> So we know where we're going. We know what we're doing. You know, this is just commonplace. You know, come on, let's go. Let's this is this is the moment we've been waiting for. And I can remember hearing like this like this gasp. And Betty is like, Abigail, what are you doing here? And I'm looking like who who? Where? Right, right. And Betty goes, That's Elijah's sister. Like, 
That's Elijah's sister right there, Elijah's sister and in the courthouse. And I was just like, oh, what, who, what's her name? What's, <laughs> happening? Know, like, what, what's happening? And long story short, when a judge is seeing cases, if the, if they have siblings, their cases are all seen on the same day. So mm-hmm. Abigail was there for something else. And it just so happened that Abigail was physically there with us when her brother was adopted. Mm-hmm. And, um, I felt like in my mind, I was in a haze because I was just like, for real God, like this girl's name is Abigail. Mm-hmm. She's here today. Why is she here today? Why is this so important? And eventually Abigail and they have another younger sister. It's Abigail, Elijah, and Diana get the opportunity to all be raised together. Mm-hmm. And so Betty and her husband, Devin, did um, decide to adopt Elijah's older sister and his younger sister. And so we, we shared this um, co-parenting it's type amazing. relationship where um, we support one another, we nurture one another, we make sure that they spend time together, that they stay together, because that was our ultimate goal, that Elijah stayed with his family. And lo and behold, the opportunity that it has opened up for not just Elijah, but for Elijah's other siblings has yes. been phenomenal. Yes, yes. And it's amazing to watch you all come together as a family um, and raise these children. You know what I mean? Um, and, yeah. Yes, you know, and how you guys, you know, plan trips together and um, plan, you know, play dates together, what have you. And so it's just been really, really amazing to watch um, all of these different transitions take place in the last, you know, couple of years. Um, and you know, there's just something about, um, God intervening in someone's story. And you can see that definitely happened in your, um, story. And I joked and said, you know, Elijah looks like Nicole, like legit, You know, every single time my mom asks for Nicole, she might forget Nicole's name. She's like, okay, yeah, yeah. How's your friend that adopted the son that you can't tell me that's not her son? And like, she thinks I'm lying. And I'm like, it is her son, number one. But yeah, she adopted him. But she, you can't tell the difference. Um, they have an and uncanny resemblance. Yes. His family has said, his, his actual biological family has said the exact same thing. Yes. They were just like, we don't know how this happened, but... <laughs> Um, his grandfather said, he looks like you. Yes, it's <laughs> uncanny. Like, it's just so weird. Um, yeah. So it's just been really, really amazing to watch and then just watch you transition into motherhood. Um, yeah. And like, you didn't miss a beat. You know what I mean? I was just like, <laughs> okay, I'm a mom now. And then it's just like, okay. You know? Like, life just changed in, in a day. And then it's just like, this is what it is. And just moving yes. forward. And so you did not miss a beat. You didn't miss a step. And um it's just been amazing to watch you nurture Elijah and just Thank come you. together and, and, you know, the, the village that supports. Um, yes. So the thing about infertility, that's just, you know, it's, it's difficult. You know, you've yes. adopted, you have a son, you have a child, but that doesn't negate the desire that you have to conceive yes. your own child. So mm-hmm. how have you dealt with that dissonance between what you want long and, and you've hoped for and, you know, now the reality of, you know, this is not what's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. How you've dealt with that um, dissonance between your, you know, life plan um, and where you are now. Actually, it's an ongoing process, Danielle. It, it didn't go away. It hasn't gone, gone away. And I don't think it will ever go away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something, you know, in this age of social media, there's probably not a day I don't open up one of my social media devices and see either a birth announcement, a pregnancy announcement, a birth story, um, baby shower, baby shower. Yes. Um, and I, I, and honestly, every single time it, it pricks at my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, things that I thought I'd be able to experience or have the joy of pregnancy, you know, that whole flower blossoming moment that, you know, when 
a female really has come into full bloom. That moment that I thought I would have, um, I've met many people who said they, you know, I, I never want to have kids. That has never been my thing. Mm -hmm. So for me, it has been a journey. It has been a struggle. It has been heart wrenching. Um, and even to, to this day, as I sit here right now, it's, it's an emotional thing that tugs at me. However, I find solace and I find relaxation and calmness at this age, knowing that God has given me the story that he has given me. Mm -hmm. And I want people when they experience this stuff as, as younger, when, if they're younger in their twenties, we don't, we need to tell our stories. We need to talk about these things. I didn't feel like this. I didn't feel like this a year ago, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, now I feel like for so long I suffered in silence by myself. Um, and you know, just passing it off like, Oh, you know, when I get married, I'll have children. And that's an easy one to answer. If you're not married, like right. don't, no one will say anything else after that. But, you know, but once you do get married, it's the, oh, so are y'all having kids? What are y'all planning to do? Like, you know, it, it's like it started all over again. Mm -hmm. And, and so what I deal with, how I deal with it now, of course, it's, it's more of a matter of prayer, whispering little prayers here and there. But there's also a joy that comes in helping celebrate others and yeah. being a support system to others because their situation is not my situation. And my situation is not because of their situation. Mm -hmm. And I have never in all my years taken away from anyone's experience because of my own experience. Agreed. Now, there have been times where I've gotten some baby shower invitations and I'm just like, oh, Lord. I don't know if I can go to another baby shower. I, I, I'm just not in the emotional space right now. Um, you know, there have been those moments and that's, that's the truest feeling um, or truest way I can express those moments. But I've never slighted a friend of mine or a coworker, anyone of their own experience mm -hmm. because of my situation. And um, it, it's been easy because it's not been about me. I feel like, you know, God has given me the story for a reason. It took me some time to acknowledge it. Then it took me some time to accept it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm on the other end of where God has given me the ability to talk about it because even talking about it, there's some resolve in talking about it. There's some healing in talking about it. And then there's a, a, a support system that I'm starting to get and gain because I'm talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not something that you sit down and in a group of females or a group of friends or families that you just say, you know what? I'm just not, I'm not able to get pregnant. Like, you yeah. know, that doesn't come up. The, the other side of the story comes up, but that side doesn't come up. So you don't know who you can go to. You don't know who you can talk to. So um, I've said it and I've said it to you many, many times that I love your boldness. I love how you have taken something that, many women don't know what to do with. You don't know what to do with it, really. Um, but you have taken a, a, um, a area of darkness, an area of loneliness, and you've brought some light into some, some homes, into some women to help them and guide them and let them know that there are people out here who are experiencing what you're experiencing, who know how you feel and who you desire and, and know what you desire. And yes, some women might have success where they are able to conceive, whether it be a, um, several years of trying or through medicine from a doctor or a procedure. Um, but they still know that feeling. Mm -hmm. They still they still know what it's like to have, um, have that moment where you don't know if you're going to be able to carry a child. And those women can minister to other women. There's so many different pieces out there for us to get support and help from. And I, I applaud you for this platform because even through your experience, and of course you knew about my experience far before you knew about your own experience, but mm -hmm. you were supportive back then. And you used to say, Nicole, you need to tell your story. Nicole, you need to tell <laughs> yeah. your story. Nicole, you need to tell your story. <laughs> yes. And I was just like, oh, girl, Danielle, you know, I'm an educator. That's not for me. You know, but, you know, I have seen how you've taken this experience and you've opened, you've put a floodlight on it. Yeah. Because 
there's a community of people in at, at your age group where I was when mm-hmm. I needed that kind of support. Um, and, and it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't there. Um, and so I applaud you. I'm excited. I appreciate I, that. I am very thankful. I had um, the opportunity to share my story from all it is it's not cohesive it's all over the place yeah. um, <laughs> but that's what makes it so beautiful it's mosaic <laughs> yes and so it, it I feel like even through this others are going to be blessed yes yeah yes any last words of encouragement for you know a woman that's going through infertility what would you offer up as words of advice, words of encouragement to kind of push through um, this journey? I would say that finding a confidant, and I'm not talking about a medical professional, I'm not talking about a counselor, I'm talking about someone in your social circle mm-hmm. who, who, when the baby shower comes out, the invitation comes out, they call you and check on you. Like mm-hmm. having that person that when, um, the baby is born (laughs) and the person wants you to come see the baby or, you know, Hey, you have that confident where they, Nicole, I know how you feel. If you want me to go with you, I'll go with you, you know, take as much time as you need. It's nice to have that person. Yeah. Um, who may not have all the answers, but they have your best interest in mind. Yeah. So I would encourage anyone who's experiencing this to find that person who can support you and, and support you in knowing that all these emotional bends when it comes to family planning is sensitive for you. And it's not necessarily that they're going to be telling people, Oh, don't, don't say this to Nicole or don't do anything to Nicole, but or don't invite her, you know? Yeah. It's not, a, no, it's, it's not about not inviting. It's not about not telling. It's more of just having that person who, who recognizes, you know, that you're going through this experience and I, I, I'm with you. I know you, I feel you, I see you because I have always said, you know, oh, I can't wait for Woody and I Woody and Danielle, where's my niece? Where's my niece? Yes. Like, <laughs> you know, um, and that was before you all knew of your, your, you know, your situation. Correct. But it's, it's still something that I say, like, what do we, you know, what's our, <laughs> I feel like, what's our plan? What are we doing? Yeah, what, what are we doing? <laughs> you always ask me, D, what's the plan? Is it updated? What you, what you going to do next? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes like, I don't know, even have an answer. I'm like, girl, I don't even know. Don't, <laughs> yeah. It's just one of those things where it, even though you might not be able to carry a child knowing that there's that person out there who's still going to be like, you might not have that experience, but I'm your girl. I'm here for you. I'm mm-hmm. with you. We in these trenches and I can celebrate because if you would have had a, a child, Danielle, I wouldn't have treated you any different. I, I agree. I would not have, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have cut you off for any of that stuff. It would have been like, Oh, here we go. Let, let's get this baby going. Let's, let's yes. raise this. New chapter. Nephew. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So, um, that that's really what I think. If I think back on my own personal experience, I really wish I had a Danielle or I had, you know, someone who had experienced what I had experienced, who I knew we had a similar story. Um, and I'm not saying any of my other friends are less than, mm-hmm. but when you know someone has had this similar story or this similar f- feeling, it makes everything it, it changes it. It makes yeah. it a different. Vibe. And it makes it easier to talk about, you know, you don't yes. feel like you're going to be judged or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's definitely mm-hmm. necessary. Um, yes. So thank you so, so much for being on this episode. How can we connect with you? If the listeners would like to connect with you, how would you want them to go about doing that? Social media, that sort of thing. Well, the best way to connect with me would be through social media on Instagram. And I'd like to invite anyone who would um, like to follow my journey as an esthetician to follow me on Claudette Nicole Beauty. That's on Instagram. And my own um, journey that I'm about to begin, my goal is to, again, help both women and men learn to love themselves from the inside out. Mm -hmm. um, And then... um, make their outside look as good as their inside. So that is really what I'm going to be starting here is this esthetician journey. And I like for your listeners to follow me there if they're interested. 
Awesome, awesome. So thank you. Might you. Even see a, you might even see a few pictures of Elijah. Yes. And my family in there. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so again, thank you so much for joining. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in to this episode of the Infertility Podcast. Ciao. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Infertility Podcast. Be sure to connect with me via social media. You can find me on Instagram at I am Danielle Joseph or on Facebook, Master Mentor and Minister. Or you can visit my website, which is www.iamdaniellejoseph.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.